0: we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Inside the sun is shining inside. It's mid-April or just about mid-April. and You know, uh, it's still a little chilly, but it's warming up today, and I like that. It's going to be 70 degrees today, I think. I might have to take the Harley out today. Sounds like a plan, doesn't it? And uh, it's this time of year that I really enjoy it because I'm I'm done with the winter blahs. Anybody? Winter is discouraging to me. Is anybody discouraged by winter? Yes, I am. I'm going to (laughs) say. I'll I'll let that sink in just for a minute. (laughs) Well, I'm delighted to have you here today. Welcome to those of you watching online and in our radio station, 87.7. Glad to have you today. What a glorious day. On this Palm Sunday. Not going to do a Palm Sunday message today. Going to do a Christian message today. How about that? Doesn't have to encompass Palm Sunday. I want to start out with a little story. Some of you have heard it before. I was a young, aspiring pastor in my first pastorate. Uh, I had some big shoes to fill at South Bend Sunlight Fellowship, Wesleyan Church. And I remember um, a couple of guys were, oh, there are some guys here that like to play uh, little jokes on me too. Uh, I'll never forget the time, Craig, when you turned on the mic when I was in the restroom downstairs. <laughs> and they, they didn't. you didn't know me well enough to know how well I respond to that. Uh, but that was 21 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you still don't know how to respond to that. But anyway, uh, there were a g- group of guys at the first church that I, you know, I was a Sunday school superintendent and a vice chairman of the board and things like that. And then I, it, you almost never go from... That in a church in, to the pastor in the same church, there's reasons for it because people sometimes never see you as the pastor; they see you as their buddy. And so uh, these guys hadn't transitioned from buddy to pastor yet, and so uh, they they and they were they were uh, patient with this too. And uh, I was standing at the door one one Sunday, and and they come up, and one, one of them leaned in me and said, he said, hey hey, forget about that one. You can't get them all good. You just can't. And I said. Okay, and he walked out the door. The following week, a different guy said the same thing. Walked up to me and said, hey, hey, everybody bombs a message. It's all right. <laughs> and I'm going, okay. Third week, a different guy, same thing. We were talking, laughing, I thought, I thought it was a particularly powerful message. And, you know, but you never know. and. Uh, he, everybody left, they all went out I thought, oh, you know. Then he came back in and said, listen, let that one go. You know, we'll, we'll expect better next week. And I'm going. Right? And so I went home and I was discouraged. And I told my wife, I said, hey, how was how my message today? She said, oh, about normal. And I'm like, how bad are they? You know? And of course, these guys all fessed up. But here, here's, the, here's the moral of the story. I think a lot of people believe that somehow pastors don't get discouraged on Sunday mornings. <laughs> yeah. Like, you, our discouragement comes every other day during the week, but we don't get it on Sunday or something. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, every pastor in here will tell you that there are times you've got to bring a message and you just don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. You don't feel like your attitude's very good, and you think if there was a trapdoor behind you, you would, you, would let it, you would let it go. You'd jump, you'd jump down it mm-hmm. because it was bad. I've had messages before where I thought it was particularly good and nobody said a word. And other times I thought I bombed it. And people said, man, that was a tremendous message. I'm like, what were you listening to? You know? But God has a way of encouraging us when we're discouraged. Have you ever noticed that? He's an encourager. And so if you take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. This is Elijah living outside your comfort zone and serving even when you're discouraged. Which means you have to serve God even when you don't feel like it. And if you don't feel like serving God today, I assure you, sometime you will feel like not serving God. And the day will come, if it hasn't already, that you wonder why am I doing this? Anybody? Just let somebody else do it. You're angry with somebody in the church, or things aren't going in your ministry like you wanted it to, or people aren't liking it, or everybody's got a different opinion, or you didn't get your way, or people don't seem to care, all sorts of things. And the devil put all of those things in your mind, and he will lead you where he wants you to go. But I have news for him. He can't get you to do it unless you want to. Because God's already defeated him. Jesus told him, you have no part of me. And we can do the same. James tells us, tell him, he has no part of you. And so, as we look at 1 Kings, we want to take a look at Elijah, and a lot of things have taken place. And remember, last week, he just called down fire from heaven, and he's, you know like walking high and mighty right now. God did something incredible. And then we find this. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And I'm thinking to myself, the guts of this woman. God just brought down fire and burned everything up, and she's gonna tell Elijah, Well, I'm gonna take care of you. Yeah. And so the Bible says Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Yeah. That's right. Yesterday he's calling down fire from heaven, today he wants to die kind of like your life kind of like mine I've had enough Lord take my life I'm no better than my ancestors he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep all at once an angel touched him and said get up and eat he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water and he ate and drank and lay down again never mind that that wasn't there before and somehow it's there I mean, if I wake up from a nap or somebody wakes me up and says, here, eat, and I, I know that the bread and the water weren't there before, I'd be like, huh, where'd it come from? I think Elijah knows where it came from. And then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Like, what journey? What journey? So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights. Now, we don't know for sure if it was actually 40 days and 40 nights. The Bible seems to use 40 days and 40 nights for a lengthy period of time. But it was a long journey. And he reached Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, and there he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What do you mean? What am I doing here? sent something here. Uh, I mean, I certainly wouldn't have traveled that far for no reason. Look, guys, I don't like traveling across town for no reason. And Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Boo-hoo. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. And the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart. I think God showed up. And it shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled back his cloak with his, over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. It's the same sob story. Like God doesn't know. So he repeats it <laughs> It's reminiscent many years forward when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, of course I do. What, well, do you love me? Of course I do. What, well, do you love me? <laughs> and then Peter gets indignant. "Wait, well, <laughs> you know I do. It's like, like we don't do that somehow. We don't repeat things to God. We don't ask the same questions, give God the same boo-hoo story, the same excuses. Like we don't do that at all. And the Lord said to Elijah, go back the way you came, go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Ebal and to succeed you as prophet. And Jehu will be put, put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, and all those... All whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Now, this is important because we need to see what God is doing here. He's patient. He's very patient with somebody that just doesn't seem to get it. And we read this story and we're thinking, well, God, I'm not like that. And yet we are, aren't we? Don't tell me that pastors out there haven't gotten discouraged even though they know God called them. Don't tell me lay people haven't gotten discouraged even though they know God told them to do something. Even told you how he's going to strengthen you. Make the pathway for you. Be with you the whole time. Don't tell me Christians don't get discouraged because we do. In this message, we once again look at Elijah, and at this time, we're going to learn what not to do. And so in our message, we learn not to allow our circumstances to dictate our attitudes, our decisions, our circumstances. In fact, we need to learn how to focus on God's objective and His purpose for us and not be subjected to all of these outside influences that we know are there anyway. The devil's always going to be around. If he, if he could jump all over Jesus when the Holy Spirit took him into the wilderness, I'm pretty sure he's not afraid to come after you. Anybody? Now, it's difficult to do sometimes, not to allow these influences to dictate to us, but with God's help, we can overcome our own human desire and our responses, and we can deal, friends, with things in the exact same way that Jesus did. You you have to practice it, and you have to determine it, but you can. I, I heard it said once, when somebody said, I can't believe, blah, 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 and a person said, well, look, I'm not Jesus. No, but you can be like him. Because he said, you can. Actually, he said, you you must be. Take up your cross and do what? Yeah, follow me. Wherever that means. And so, even though we know these things, depression is real. Depression is real, and it's one of the hardest battles that people ever face. In fact, it creeps in, and it will camp out in your mind. And then from there, it begins to sow these seeds that we call doubt, and then it starts to linger, and pretty soon it takes up residence there, and it stays. It stays. And if anybody's ever dealt with it, you know what I'm talking about. You know it's there. You want to kick it, but you just can't seem to make it happen. You know God can deliver you from it. Uh, You might even be on some medication. You you you've, you've changed tried to change your lifestyle, and, and then you have some good days you think, okay, and then all of a sudden there it is again. Yep. Oh yes. It's real. Yeah. Oh yes. And the longer it stays, the harder it is to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. You see, friends, doubt is an adversary to our faith, and it tries to shut our faith out and even really eliminate it. Mm-hmm. It tries to eliminate that's. Its goal is to eliminate your faith. And then there's this other thing that comes along with it. It's called oppression. Now, this one's a little different, but it's a battle nevertheless. This one is supernatural because it isn't a human condition, it's a direct attack from demonic authorities. And we better, in the church and as Christians, we better take note today that those things are out there, Amen. that they're real. Okay? I know that there are demons here today. Don't look at your neighbor. They're unseeable. Right? That doesn't mean demons don't use people. Okay? But they have to be willing to be used. But that happens. and Sometimes we don't even know it. Either way, they're here. In fact, it's been said that Satan and his cronies are the best attenders of church that there are. Well, if I was Satan or I was a demon, that's exactly where I'd be. Because I know that the people doubt their own faith sometimes. And I just might have some influence there. I'm going to find the chink in their armor. And they do. And they're good at it. Been at it a lot longer than you and me. But we can win over such things. God will show us his promises if we stick to our faith and remove the doubt that seems to be taking up residence within us. And he can do it before it takes such a hold on us that our faith begins to waver. Because the devil knows if he camps out long enough, (laughs) you begin to lose heart. So in this message, I want us to learn how to not let others think or say. Cause us to be depressed and bring doubt. Also, going to learn that oppression actually causes depression and doubt. Most of the time, that's where it comes from. So here's 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 a deal. Here's 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 a thought. Don't allow people to obscure your purpose for God. Mm-hmm. All right now. <laughs> right. You see, people determine much of what we do or don't do in life. This is true. You you can't fight it. You can dispute it if you want to. But if if you're honest about it, I promise you, you'll find out that people influence a lot in your life. You know, they can encourage us or they can discourage us. More times than not, it's discouragement. And there's a lot of reasons for it. And it happens in two ways. And one of them you're going to believe and the other one you might have to be convinced. Because we don't like to admit it. Number one, people will directly and deliberately do or say things to keep you from aspiring to or accomplishing things that God wants you to take care of in your life. Because they're jealous or whatever. There's a variety of reasons why, but people will directly on purpose do it. But you know what else? Sometimes, secondly, they have nothing to do with it whatsoever. But just because they're there We take ourselves out of the game because of them. We're always thinking about what they might do or say or how they might think about something or what they've done in the past or whatever, and it gets in our head and we stop ourselves from accomplishing what God has for us. There's a variety of reasons why we do it. It might be fear. It might be lack of confidence. It might be afraid we'll disappoint somebody or do something they don't want us to do. In fact, I can't tell you how many people that I've spoken to that said that they really felt the call to ministry, but a parent or a grandparent or a sibling or somebody said, Well, why do that? That's stupid. It ain't even real. Why would you dedicate your life to something like that? And there's no money in it anyway. Again and again and again, I've heard that said. I've even sat on boards at two different districts on the ministerial development and people have sat across from me, and I see they don't do any work, and things that they were called to do, they haven't taken one class or done one thing, and I'll ask them the question, and nobody seems to want to ask them. Are you sure you're called to ministry? And to sit sit them look at you and not respond, you're like, "Uh uh-oh. And then one guy even said, you know what, fellas? I don't think I am. Well, what are you doing here then? Well, everybody said I ought to be a minister. Well, good for them, but if God didn't call you to it, that's a problem. You see, this is, this is how people influence us. Now, I don't want to kick somebody out of ministry. I don't want to keep somebody out of ministry. But the deal is, if you're not called, but everybody else told you you should do it, don't say yes. And if you are called, and, and believe me, you can know, don't let others talk you out of it. This is, right, and that's just one thing. People are influential in our lives. And I think, friends, how many times have we allowed what people think or say stop us from moving on with the plan that God has given us? You know, in our story, Elijah is dealing with exactly that. I mean, he received the news that Jezebel wants him dead. Well, that's a problem because she's she's pretty wicked gal, you know. In fact, she's the most prominent evil person in the entire Old Testament. So... You, you know, you can hang your head on that. Elijah has to deal with her. You know, yeah. this woman's bad news now. <laughs> Think about Ahab. Bless his heart. Married this woman. Yes. And you know he did exactly, Elijah did what we would do. He expected the worst. Let's go a little deeper. Elijah assumes that she's going to kill him like all the other prophets. You know, and, and, you know, he wrongly assumes that Jezebel somehow can do whatever she wants. See, this is what happens when we start thinking in human terms and not ro- relying completely on God. That's, right. That's what happens. That's right. You see, without God's protection, Jezebel can probably do exactly what, what Elijah thinks she's going to do. Mm-hmm. But God is in control, isn't he? Amen. I mean, he's proven to Elijah that he's in control. He's, he's proven to you and me that He's in control more times than you can probably count. And if, if not in your own life, which He probably has, but also in the Word of God where you read all the people where God did those things. Yes. Old and New Testament. Oh, yes. So God's in control. Everybody in here knows God's in control. That's right. Yep. Come on. Everybody in here knows that God's in control. Don't you? Yes, and if you don't, don't leave here today until you do. Because God wants you to know he's in control. He always has been. But Elijah somehow, some way, forgets something very important. And basically it is, what, what, you know, what Jezebel, what can she do unless God allows her to do it? You know? And I think about how many times have we focused on what people can or can't do and forget all about what God can do. In fact, people really have no authority greater than God. I mean, do they? I mean, there are some powerful people in the world today but they aren't more powerful than God no idea, no, no idea, no idea. and I hope and pray that the Ukrainian people understand that regardless of what happens to their nation and their sovereignty Yes. Oops. I have news for you if Putin were standing right here I would tell him you're not more powerful than God boss and I don't really care who it is <laughs> they're not more powerful than my God But here's another problem. We give people authority that they just do not have. Mm-hmm. Do you, have you noticed that? Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's true that God doesn't always step in and stop people from carrying out evil. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been, you know, especially in South Bend, it happened where a law enforcement officer was shot, you know, another one was shot, and, and people said, why did God allow that? You know, because God isn't going to go into the mind of an evil person and stop them from having their free will. That's why. God, God's not, he, he's not going to do that. Now, can God protect you in another way? Yes, but sometimes God allows the natural course of events to take place, and I don't understand it. No pastor in here understands it. None of us do, but God does. Amen. We do not see the bigger picture, and I'm telling you as humans, we're going to question every single thing God does or does not do when it affects us especially if our own humanists doesn't make sense, particularly as it relates to someone we consider innocent like a child, right? right. Don't tell me that people have had horrible things, horrific things, illnesses, whatever happened to children or something terrible, you know, cataclysmic that happens to them that they don't question if there's a God or not or why he would do that. Now, come on. Got to be honest here. Pastors don't want to touch this for some reason. But it isn't up to us to touch it or not. It's the way of life and God's sovereign and he can or can't, it's up to him. And it's not for me to question why he did or didn't. And let me tell you something, I've been in places like that where I didn't understand. Yes, I still don't. This side of heaven, I probably won't. But I'll tell you what I do understand. I know my Redeemer lives. Amen. Yes. That's right. I know he's on the throne. I know he walked into Jerusalem that day, or he rode into Jerusalem that day. Mm-hmm. And a whole lot of people... We're going to be disappointed. That's right. Joyous on Sunday, disappointed and dejected on Tuesday. Huh? It's life. Christians will absolutely have eternity with God, regardless of whether God steps in and protects us in this life or not. In Elijah's case, God had protected him over and again. In fact, Satan had gotten at this point into Elijah's head, and he's in this frame of mind, really, this far away from God. It's almost like, it, and I've been there before, and I, I don't think you have to be a minister for this to happen. But every now and then, you know, God will do some incredible spiritual things through you, and you'll be spent at the end of it. You, you, like it's a big message, or it's a series of things that's taken place, and you put everything you are, your heart, and soul into it. And, and then at the end of it, and it's done, you're just like, yes. you feel like you can't, move, you can't do anything else. You're just spent. Mm-hmm. And see, this is when the devil shows up. He doesn't show up when you're, when you're all fired up. He comes when you're down and out. When you need rest and you need to recharge, that's when the devil shows up. He did it to Jesus that way too, didn't he? Yeah. Hmm. Used hunger, yeah? Okay. And a variety of other things. And so Elijah is looking at his situation rather than God's ability and promises. And he seems to say something like, you know, God, I know you protected me before, but what have you done for me lately? Like, none of us has done that before. You know, who, who in here has said, yeah, but what have you done for me lately? Right? Come on. Yeah, God, I know you did that before, but what about now? Or maybe he's saying, I mean, that was then and this is now, or or, that was different. I mean, all the excuses that we all come up with, Elijah does, you know, (laughs) in other words, no matter what God has done, Elijah still doubts, but we do the same. It's almost like we'll point a finger and say, I can't believe you're doing that, Elijah, when we've done it. In truth, Elijah would rather go somewhere and die rather than face Jezebel's wrath. He even says so. And it doesn't matter that he has just witnessed God bringing fire from heaven at his, at his request, by the way, right? I mean, that's kind of interesting. I mean, I have to tell you, I kind of believe that if I ask God to bring fire from heaven and he does, I'd be like, whoa, huh? I mean, that's doubting me because God probably would if there's a purpose for it and I knew what it was, you see? We ought to have faith. Jesus said, have faith and do not doubt. But we sometimes do, don't we? And see, this fire was special. It, it didn't just burn up the sacrifice. It burned up all the water and even the stones. I, I, I've tried to burn stones. It doesn't work. As a kid, and my grandkids do this to me all the time, they love campfires in my backyard, and they all want to throw rocks in there. I don't know why. They Throw rocks in there. And you know they've done it when you didn't see it, and all of a sudden one explodes in there. Anybody ever seen that before? Because the moisture in it, gets hot, and before you know, boom. You can use stones in the field for warmth, and that's great, but you've got to be careful in how you do it. you got to dry them out. I wouldn't fish one out of the riverbed in, in the water. I'd get ones on a bank. But see, it burned those things up. They don't, they don't burn. But these did. And he witnessed the whole thing. That was quite a show of God's power, don't you think? And still here he is. And the irony is that he has now taken on the same defeatist behavior as the widow that he once ministered to a few weeks ago. Yeah. You see, friends, we can't allow what people say what they threaten us with or even what they do to change our faith in God. We just can't. Because when we do that, it's almost like we doubt his ability and power. And I don't. And I'll say that today and wonder tomorrow why I do. That's humanity and God wants to change my humanity yeah he wants to not only change my status of eternity from death to life he wants to change my status from humanity to eternity you see I, I want that but you have to understand friends some things first of all God has a plan for you and you can't allow people no matter who they are to obscure your view of God or his purpose for you but in order to do that you have to understand the process of your spiritual growth and I think that's where we fail whether you know it or not your spiritual growth is a process does everybody know your growth is a process and, 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 I, and I say that because sometimes it seems like you're going full speed ahead, and all of a sudden you're kind of like in limbo, and then you realize that you've taken a couple steps back here. Has anybody felt like that? Maybe you've taken more than two or three steps back. And then you wonder, where am I spiritually? If someone asked you, where are you spiritually, how would you answer? You see, every Christian is in the process of either spiritual growth or spiritual decline. I'm here to tell you today, it's either growth or decline. Growth or decline. There's no middle of the road in the Christian life. We want to believe that, and society will push that, but it isn't true. You're growing or you're dying. It's real simple. And I think Christians seldom recognize the fact, and most of us think we're either growing or staying the same level, and this simply isn't true. But what is true is that if we aren't growing, we are declining. We are declining. And our our growth oftentimes includes this thing called evolution. We're evolving. And I know people get all bent out of shape when they hear that word. Don't. Because it works. To a point. It doesn't work the way society wants to tell you it does. But it does work in the law of God. And let me explain that to you. We can evolve from a brand new Christian who's not very experienced and sometimes not even very good Christian into a strong, steadfast, experienced, and very stable Christian. That was a process and you evolved from one to the other. And God did it. Anybody? God did it. And God can change you from one creature to another. He's the only one that can do that. So when they tell you that we all evolved from apes, don't believe that garbage. That didn't happen. Only God can change a creature from one to another. Time doesn't do it. Society doesn't do it. Science doesn't do it. You don't do it. He does. But he evolved you from this to this. And I got news for it. God wants to keep doing it. He wants that to snowball so that you're growing deeper, stronger, higher, greater in Him than you were the day before. And I look back on my journey, my spiritual journey, and I'm thinking, yeah, I've come a long way. And yet, rather than being proud of myself, I look at where God wants me and think, come on, God, I feel like the little engine that could. Anybody? Sometimes it's just a chugga-chugga-chugga. And other days, it's like you're on a freight train, man. I want to be on the freight train, but it doesn't work work that way all the time. Sometimes I'm trying to chug up that hill. And as long as I keep my eyes focused where God is, I can get there. But when I start looking at, yeah, I love roller coasters. I really do. I'm one of those fools that's got his hands in there. I don't care how high it is. I don't care how steep it is. I got my hands in there. We go to Cedar Point. I'm telling you, my favorite is a Magnum XL 200. That's my favorite ride at the park because it's longer than the rest of them. But the best drop was, without question, Millennium Force. Ain't no doubt in my mind. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Who knows what I'm talking about? Oh, we all got to go. Let's take a church day and go and get on. Who's going with me? Who's going to get on these roller coasters with me? All right, some of you. How many of you is going to put your hands in the air? My kids and I have this thing. We, 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 wherever car we're in, we grab hands and we don't let anybody put their hands down. Yep, and brother, on that first one, that, that hill is a doozy. I'm telling you, it's straight down. And I'm like, woohoo! You ain't going to fall out. Listen, if the car comes off the track, you're gone anyway. You might as well do it this way. You might as well. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But I'm telling you, at least you see what's coming. Friends, for us to evolve into this person God wants, we have to to exercise our faith to do that. You have to exercise your faith. And if you aren't pursuing God daily, if you aren't reading your scripture daily, and if you aren't applying what you're learning to your life, if you aren't asking God to change your poor attitudes, and let's face it, we have them. Every one of us in here has had a poor attitude this week on something. Now, come on. Even if nobody else saw it. Come on. Somebody's ready to tell what it is already. Public confession is good, but not right now, okay? Okay? But listen, we have them. And you need God to change your attitude. And you need God to fill you with positive attitudes and joy. Because that's what he's about. You know? And if you're not doing that, I have to tell you, you're likely declining. You know? Right? Now, I'm one of those people that's usually a, a glass... You know half full a lot of people are glass half empty but the fact is with God that changes everything it always has now nobody wants to think it but everybody I've ever spoken to whoever finds themselves in a bad place never seems to know how they got there and this is what they'll say I don't know where I went wrong and yet You've watched it happening. Just didn't think it was as bad as it is. You see, spiritual growth takes effort. And honestly, we don't often put that much effort into it. And that is exactly what has to change. And then beyond that, friends, spiritual maturity, whether you know it or not, is required by God. How many in here knew that spiritual maturity is guaranteed? God requires it. Who knows that? Yeah. Why do you struggle with it then? Right? It's, I, I look in the mirror and I think, why do I struggle if I know God requires it from me? Now, the Bible is clear over and again that he requires it. He requires us to mature in our faith. In fact, 2 Peter 3.18 and Hebrews 5.12-14, to 14, but grow in the grace of knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There, it said what? Grow. Did you hear that? To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, Right? You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word over and again. The writer of Hebrews, which in my opinion is probably Apostle Paul, is saying, look, you should be here, but you're over here. Why? Why aren't you over here where God has called you? God's given you every opportunity. He's been calling you there. He's made a way for you in your life to get there. So the only reason you're not there is because you decided not to do it. Or you listened to all this stuff out here. Or you allow Satan to do whatever it is he's going to do. But again, God has already overcome the world. So you can use any excuse you want of why you're not there. But the fact of that, maybe some of them are legitimate. But the fact of the matter is, if you want it, you can have it. Because God has defeated Satan already. Mm -hmm. And people say it's not that simple. Yes, it is. I'm not saying circumstances aren't difficult. I'm saying it is that simple. And who can dispute the powerful truth of Romans 8? Here Paul says that only those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. I've heard people say we're all children of God. No, no, we're not. The Bible's clear that we're not. Okay? We're not. I even had a pastor once tell me that. And I said, no. How can you say that? We're all created by God. I said, yeah, we are all created by God. But we're not all His children, bud. Can you prove that? Every day. And I showed it to him. He said, I never saw it that way before. right here God's creation doesn't mean his child because Jesus said in God you are a new creation that is what gives you child status amen yeah friends we cannot be led by the spirit without spiritual maturity in fact there are so many other things that take us out of the game in fact too many to mention this message but clearly God has something for us. Clearly, He wants us to do something. And every Christian who has truly gained salvation knows that you have to grow. You could say you didn't know, but you know. And this requires us leaving our comfort zone, and God forbid, we don't want to do that. God forgive us, we don't want to grow sometimes. And here we see once again, God's moving Elijah out of his comfort zone. And so often in the church, we want to keep doing things the same way we've always done it. And as Christians, we are traditionalists who are not real open to changes. You know. And I'm not saying change just to change. But Elijah was accustomed to the strong winds and the earthquakes because he understood God's destructive capability to get people's attention. He was also used to fires because he had just seen God show up in the midst of a fire. But what Elijah wasn't ready for was a shifting of change. In our spiritual growth, our church and our ministries, we can't continue to hold God in a box. Because if we do, friends, here's what's going to happen. We are going to stunt our own growth. And some of our churches are so self-containing of God that they limit themselves from receiving the full power and the blessings that God wants to bestow. I've seen it over and again. And I, you know, I'm on this, well, I was until, we haven't met for a while, but I was on this task force at headquarters of random pastors in different districts who were on our church health and church growth task force. And I've gone to a couple churches, some that were becoming Wesleyan churches from other denominations or independents, and we've gone to other churches from any denomination and asked us to sit with the pastor and the board and people and, s- and find out what's wrong and try to help them fix it. And I've sat with these people, and I know what the problem is within 10 minutes. They are not gonna change. All right, no. They are not gonna change. This is the way they do things. They are who they are, they know who they are, and they are not gonna let new people come in who wanna change or do something different because uh, we're just gonna protect what we got right here. They don't want change. They say they do. No, you want things to keep going the way they are in the comfort zone that you like and not make any, any changes. You don't, want, you don't really want younger people to come in here. You know your church is gonna die if you don't, but you don't want what they're gonna to bring to you. That's a fact. They say, no, 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 but they do. I can know in 10 minutes why. And they know it too, but they're just not going to change. And I'm not saying we're not changers. Because Lord knows we've changed a lot. But I'd like to think it's all for the better. And I wonder what God's going to change next, you see. You know, friends, we need to hear from God and allow His changes. It's going to be fine, I promise. If God makes the changes, you're going to be fine. I once proposed something to a church board and I could tell that it made them very uncomfortable. And for years and years and years and years, one individual had been the vice chairman and pretty much run the church. It didn't matter who the pastor was. And I proposed something that they had never even thought of doing. And I said to them, you know, we did do this, we do this, and they all sat and looked at me. Uh, and as soon as I was finished, they all took it. this, it, it was like, it was this fast. I'm at this end of the table. He was at that end of the table. They went, then he went and looked at him. And I'm like, yeah, I could see where, who, they're, who they're following. And I very subtly said, don't look at him, look at me. And they sort of did, and then they went back. And, and he didn't say anything at first, and then all of a sudden, he was sitting there contemplative. Then he said, well, pastor? Well, if that doesn't work, then I said, "Well, I guess we won't do it again then." (laughs) But I could see in their faces that they didn't—they were scared to venture into something that they'd never done before. They liked to do what's comfortable and things that they knew to do. Listen. God pulled Elijah out of his comfort zone. He said, go up there and stand in front of all those people before all those other prophets and you call upon my name even though you're the only one standing there. I think that's outside of his comfort zone. (laughs) Now he's in there hiding in a cave. Friends, we can't be this way in the church and be in spiritual growth mode. You can't. It's not possible. Most of the time, our own personal preferences are so ingrained into us that we assume that God wants things to stay the same. I assure you, He doesn't. We can even convince ourselves that changing somehow isn't holy. We, we, We will make things holy in the church that are tradition and nothing else. Do you understand that? We will make things holy that has nothing to do with holiness whatsoever. It's preference and nothing more. Yeah. I've seen it when I've done special services with things that church isn't familiar with, and they'll be like, oh my gosh, is that Christian? Well, the early church, you know, for years and years did all of those things. I even had one person tell me, and on Thursday night we're going to do some of this, we're going to do some liturgical things. And I've had, the first time I did them here, I had a person tell me, that's Roman Catholic. And no, no, it's not. They still do it. But it was in the church from the beginning. Why, I never heard of that thing. Well, it's a Nicene Creed. You better get, you better get pretty used to it. <laughs> the church has been doing it for years. Just because we haven't done it in our tradition doesn't mean it's not holy. <laughs> Do you think I would bring something pagan in here? <laughs> I mean, this is right. Just because you're not familiar, I even had one person tell me. Years ago, when we did intention with our communion, that that wasn't holy, and the way you have to do it was the wafer in a cup. And I said, Well "That's interesting. That's not how Jesus and His disciples did it. They didn't bring a, they didn't have a wafer in a cup. They dipped." <laughs> what we're we talking about here? Sure, they took bread and ate it too, and drank it. Yeah, you can do it any way you want. I even had a youth pastor one time that had kids on a. On a some of you know this already. Uh, I was. Re- Completely happy with him when he did it, but, but I understood his meaning behind it. They were at a youth retreat out in the middle of nowhere, camping, and the kids, the spirit moved, and the kids wanted to take communion, and all he had was Oreos and Mountain Dew, and guess what? And when he told me, I'm like... <laughs> but then I began to think about it, but what Jesus used was what was common. I mean, I personally wouldn't choose Oreos and Mountain Dew, but the fact is, it's just what the spirit did that counted right. Right. I don't think Jesus was necessarily concerned about how they did it mm-hmm. just that they wanted him you know and this, this is the key this is the key and mature Christians stand firm even when we're discouraged you see mature Christians go through the same attacks that immature Christians go through the difference is, we stand firm. We know that God's got a way through. We know, and even if we can't see it, we know He's going to be there. And if we don't see it in this lifetime, we will see it in the next. Mm-hmm. Isn't that right? I've got to hurry here. We also have to follow God's instructions even when we doubt. Mm-hmm. We have to follow God's instructions. We must never leave God out of our decisions. And God forbid... Forgive me, I sometimes leave God out of my decisions. You know what I do, and I, I just, I'm just going to go off my notes here. Because here's what happens. I'll know that God's asked me to do something or wants me to do something, and, 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 I'll, and I'll be all about it. And then the little things in life that I think, you know, I don't entrust God to those. I think, wow, well, you know, I know what to do with these. I don't need to ask God about that. Don't tell me you never did that. No, I'm not going to ask God if I need to go to the restroom. I know when I need to go or not. (laughs) Right? But I mean, because you... It's a fact of life. But you... You follow me here? God needs to be in your decisions. One of the worst things that we can do when we're nervous and afraid is make our own decisions and not follow God. And that's exactly what Elijah started to do. God didn't tell him to grow, run. Dr. Wayne Caldwell, who was a professor I had when I was going to school in the Wesleyan Church years and years and years ago, he just recently died. He once explained it like this. He said the chemical composition of water is H2O, which is two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. Now I know some of you are like, well this is science, I, don't need, I can tune this out. No, you don't, listen. <laughs> he said, if we change this one little thing, like if we make it one part hydrogen and one part oxygen, then we no longer have water. Right. 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 What we have is this chemical formula, OH, which is commonly known as sodium sodium hydroxide. Mm-hmm. This formula has the potential of burning our skin when we touch it. This one little change that went from something healthy and necessary to live Became something very dangerous. In the same way, if we don't follow God's instructions explicitly, we may end up with something that will be damaging to the people that God intends us to serve. This is how close the parameters are. Friends, we also have to trust that God knows what he's doing. Can't tell you how often I felt like I could do it better than God could. I wouldn't say that. But my actions of doing it on my own or my way proved it. And you know what, you've done it too. It's not hard to do. Because I'm out of time, you're not gonna get all that. But nevertheless, you got the idea. So you gotta be completely surrendered. Totally obedient, always trust God, even when you don't understand or even like the direction God seems to be going. I've been going some directions (laughs) I didn't really care for, right? I didn't like where this was going. Last night, Beth and I watched a real cheesy movie that was actually based on a true story. It's a Christian film. The acting isn't very good, and the only actor I knew was John Schneider, who used to be Bo Duke. I haven't seen him since the Dukes of Hazzard. So it tells me he's not real popular in the acting community, but the fact of the matter, he plays this doctor in this movie. It's called Tulsa. Have you seen it? Oh, well, you're all going to go out and look for it, aren't you? Yeah. It's out there. It's a Christian movie. You can get it. Again, the acting isn't very good, but the story is awesome. A pastor in the story tells uh, a person who doubts uh, God and faith. It tells him a story. He tells about a man on a boat that is sinking. And the man prays that God will save him. And just as he's praying, the boat starts on fire while it's sinking. <laughs> and the guy <laughs> jumps in the water. And while he's in the water, he starts screaming out to God. He goes, you got to be kidding me! I ask you to help me the boat sinking. You started on fire, and I gotta get off quicker than I wanted to. And just as he saying those things and he says, I can't believe you did this to me. Out of the fog in the night comes a big ship. And they rescue the guy and they bring him up on board. And the captain says, A good thing your boat was on fire. We'd never seen you otherwise. <laughs> right? Hey, that's that, right, right? That's God now. And all he could say was, seriously, God? Seriously? (laughs) Yeah. Friends, God knows what he's doing, even if we don't follow his instructions to the letter. General George Patton was a tremendous leader and motivator. He was an army guy, but we'll we'll forgive him for that. (laughs) Right, Marines? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Now listen. His chief of staff once told him that his men didn't know when he was serious and when he was kidding. And he said, well, it's not important for them to know so important for me to know and I began to think about that and I thought you know likewise it isn't always important for us to know but it is important that God knows now all I have to do is know He's God. <laughs> amen <laughs> lastly did you know that God has already determined your victory he already set you up to win life might not be like it all the time but he did now God is giving us what I call the Cliffs notes version sometimes Remember Cliff's Notes? Who remembers Cliff's Notes? Yeah. How many many of you misused those? (laughs) Didn't we all, when we were in school, right? And you find out in college, you can't get away with that very well. In, in, In high school, you might get away with it. In college, you're not gonna get away with it. But nevertheless, these were little books that outlined an actual book. They were brief summaries about the book, for the most part, but it was enough information so that in an emergency, and most of us didn't have mercy; we're just lazy, but emergency, you would know enough that you might not have to actually read the book. And they also gave you the ending and purpose of the book. Now, clearly, Cliff's Notes couldn't give you all the details or even the full and complete story about the book, right? So one would get so much more from the book itself, but it gave you an idea about the book. So in this passage, I think that God is providing Elijah with Cliff's Notes. He has already told Elijah that he has determined a victory for him. The same way that Christ has determined a victory for you and me. They haven't told us the whole story about it or how it's going to come down to it. But they've told us it's going to happen. And we ought to know that it's going to happen. And all we have to do is follow the instructions and not allow what people say or think distract, detour, or discourage us. That's the key. The Bible, friends, is the full book. It's much more than a book. It's the living Word of God. It's the only manuscript that can claim this attribute and description. Elijah is just one story in the truth of the Word of God. And if we read the whole thing, we'll get the full picture. You might not know every detail. But you'll know the outcome. And this will prove to us over and again... That God has promised us that our victory in Him is already determined. Does it really matter what the process is between? Probably not. So what more do we need? And as our worship team comes, I would say this. God will always prepare you for what your next battle is in the midst of your current victory. He always will. Remember that there's a lesson in everything that God does. In fact, I've learned that God never wastes Pain. Who knows that? Who knows that God never wastes pain? He never does. And everything the enemy means for bad, what does God do? He uses it for? Yes. Yes. Friends, would it shock you to know that that I grew up in a little, well, I grew up Roman Catholic and United Methodist, if you can believe that. I did. But when my mother died when I was four years old, my father remarried a year and a half later, we went from Two sets of Catholic grandparents of South End, Indiana, to a little tiny United Methodist Church in Claypool, Indiana. Anybody know where Claypool, Indiana is? You don't know where that is. Do you really? Wow. Well, that's where I grew up. And here's the deal. I went from this to that, and the teachings were a little bit different. But I learned more in Sunday school as a little kid in the United Methodist Church than I ever would have in that Roman Catholic Church. Nothing against Roman Catholic Church. What I'm saying is I grew up there. And, and here's what I found. <laughs> God began to move and use and do things that I never thought possible that he could do. A lot of things happen in life. I was bitter for years that God took my mother from me. But I gotta believe that had that not happened, God would not have given me the base or couldn't have given me the basis because I wouldn't have had the opportunity to learn what I did. God got a hold of me in that little church, and I'll tell you something. All I could do was I couldn't wait to get away from the house and go into Marines because I couldn't stand my home life. And what happened is that when I graduated, enlisted in the Marine Corps, and left home, I forgot all about God pulling on my life. I knew I was called to ministry when I was 13 years old. Well, I wasn't going to do it because I looked at the white-haired guy that said things I couldn't understand up on the pulpit, and I never listened. But I read the scripture. That's all I did. And then years forward, I find myself in combat in Beirut and hating life. And I said, Lord, if you'll get me out of this, I'll serve you. And you know what happened? He did, and I didn't. Forgot all about that, but God got me out of there. And people around me didn't make it, but I did. I questioned that for years. How, how, how did I live and they didn't. And then one day, God said, hey, you remember all those things that happened in your life? They were for a purpose. I was preparing you for the next phase of life. And I sat at my desk at Unisource, Newcomprint Services in Chicago. I looked, I was a vice president of marketing, sales, and finance, making six figures and more. And I looked out on North Michigan Street, Chicago, and as sure as I'm standing here, God said, you're done. It's almost like God had to say, hey, look at me, you're done. And I knew it, and I never argued. Now, I was an assistant pastor uh, at a church in South Bend, and I had, uh, you know, our pastor had, had left, and, I was sort of doing it, you know. Didn't know what I was doing, but I was sort of leading. I was in school. And I called my wife and I said, hey, I'm done. And she said, oh, you're coming home early today. I said, no, you don't understand. I'm done. She got quiet. She said, what happened? I said, God's calling me out of here and into full-time Christian ministry. And she got quiet for a minute and she said, We just built a brand spanking new house here. I said, yeah. You just bought a Cadillac. I said, I know. What will we do? Where will we go? Because clearly on a pastor's salary, we were not going to have those two things. I said, I don't know. But if he'll take us to it, he'll bring us through it. Without hesitation, she said, all right, I'm with you. I went downstairs, and I told my company president I was leaving. And of course, who is it? Where are you going? Where are the you? Well, I said, I'm going into full time Christian ministry. And she looked at me. She said, Tell you what, you've been under a lot of stress lately. She goes, Go home. Take the, take the day off. And come back and let's let's let. And she'd she, she goes, We'll talk tomorrow. What a patronization. And so I thought, I'll take it off. So I am it And the next day, I. Came back, and I went upstairs, and I was doing work, you know, and I was preparing things to get out, you know. And she had to call me, and she said, why didn't you come see me this morning? I said, for what? To talk about what? She said, now, she said, now, don't you feel better? I said, I feel great. And she said, (laughs) I'll never forget it. She said, okay, so let's put this behind us and move forward, and we'll, right. And I said, I'm leaving. She said, what are you, are you serious? I said, yeah. What are you gonna do? I said, I'm gonna I, I think the church wants me to pastor them full-time, and if they don't, I'll find another one, I'll, I'll do God's called me in full-time Christian ministry. I'm gonna be a minister, and that's it. God's called me and I'm done. And she looked at me, she said, You're gonna be in the who's who of printing. You, 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 you're like going somewhere. She said, You might ultimately sit in this chair. And I said, God didn't want me to sit in that chair. And this, this is no kidding. She went like this, and she pulled her and she went like this in her rolodex. Remember, we had Rolodex back, she pulled out a card, she said, here, call this guy, you need a CAT scan. I said, no, I don't need a CAT scan. What I need is right here. And you know what? This is no lie, 30 years later, here I am. God has a plan for you, he always has. We, had a savings, my wife and I. We built a brand spanking new home. We're a little late, but you gotta hear this, guys, because this is, this is my story, I'm telling you. I watched God do it. We had a brand new home. Our kids went to the best school in Northern Indiana, yes or no, Penn High School, okay? We had it, we had it all. We had cars, we, had, we did it all. My wife was an insurance agent, okay? We had it all. And when I left that, little by little, I kept making that $2,000-something-dollar-a-month house payment. And my savings card going like this. Because I was not making that much. Okay? And then, a year later, God moved us here. And while I was here, we tried to sell that house in a subdivision, one of the nicest houses in the entire subdivision, and it would not sell. For two years, it did not sell. And we could figure it out. Nobody could figure out why. We weren't asking a for it. It was one of the nicest houses there. It still is. And I, we couldn't figure it out. It wouldn't sell. And my savings dwindled and it dwindled and it dwindled and I started to panic. And this is, this is the truth. I sat, when we had, Carol, remember we had the two houses and my office was in that house? I made the last payment on that house in my savings and I didn't have enough to make another full payment. And I knew it. And that month the house sold. And I said, all right, God, I, said, I see where we're going here. You want me to rely on you and not my nest egg, isn't that right? And God never said a word. But I'll tell you what he has done. I never wanted for a thing. My daughter Carol said, Dad, I don't remember us ever struggling, we always got what we needed, we always had, yep. We struggled, but we always have, didn't we? If you're faithful to him, he'll be faithful to you. That's all I'm gonna tell you. I know it, I want God to teach you too. And sometimes, I told my, my, one of my twins this, I said, son, I have been praying that God will bring you to your lowest point so that you'll see your need for him. And he looked at him, he said, you what? hmm Because you need him more than you need anything else. You're called to ministry. You know it and I know it. Stop running. And rely on him. So you pray with me. <laughs> that that boy gets to his lowest point and sees his need for his father, and God can use him in ministry because he's called. And while you're doing it, ask God to do the same for you if you need that. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great, biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.